Romans chapter 11, if this is the first time that you've been with us for a while, you probably chose a bad night to come. Um, uh, we are... We are in the midst of one verse that we've already spent two weeks on, and uh, and this is the third week, and we'll spend one more, Lord willing, next week. It's verse 7. Let me read you verses 7. Th- actually, we'll cover the 7 through 10 in four weeks. So let me read you 7 through 10 real quick. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Back up in verse um, 7, we, we fixed our attention last week on the first half of that middle sentence in verse 7. The elect obtained it. We looked at that last week. Tonight, we're left with the other half of that statement, and it states in five very complex words, but the rest were hardened. (laughs) Would anyone like to do this for me tonight? Uh, um, Anybody? Got any volunteers? Um, Guys, um, when you see a sentence like that, or hear somebody um, talk about this, or even teach it and believe it as I do, the, one of the um, inevitable responses, uh, one of the predictable responses that will come from people who are somewhat foreign to this is, is, the statement, is this statement. Well, well, in fact, if I, were to, if I were to let you, I bet you could come up with this without me ever even prompting you, but what is said in response to the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, the, the, uh, the kind of the visceral response that comes rather immediately and predictably is, well, that's not fair. Um, you don't have any right to do that. Now, guys, what I want to do, I want to teach you this tonight, but I want to try to do it in coming in the back door. And I, I think you'll see what I mean as we go. But um, here's the way I want to start tonight. According to you, what rights do God, does God have? God has what rights based on what you are convinced is true? What rights does he have? What I'd like to do tonight is, and you're going to need a Bible, and um, um, I, I want to race down uh, or trace down some some passages that I think discuss the issue, and then and then just let you, I don't know, chew on them a while. I guess um, we're going to start in the book of Isaiah. I've got seven concerning how to help us define what we think right, what what rights we think God has. So I'm asking you, according to you. What rights do you give to God? I mean, what, what rights do you think he has? Okay? So let's address that for a few minutes, and then we'll uh, try to uh, wrap this up. By the way, we're going to come back to this that's not fair thing as we, as we close. So let's start with Isaiah 43. This is a great passage, uh, one that uh, many of you know, some of you have memorized it. starts off wonderfully. Let, let me just read you the first four verses. And we're going to do a lot of this, so bear with me. 
Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Here's, here's the famous part. You've memorized this or heard it preached. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. What, what a great statement. When you shall walk, when you, uh, you walk, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now listen to this next sentence. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I, and I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. Now, how do you like that? Does that sit well with you? Oh, yeah, I like that. You know, it says right there that God loves me and and he takes people and he uses them to ransom me. He uses them in, a, in a, an exchange for me. Well, that's great if you're one of those that he, that he loves. What if you're an Egyptian? Um, do you think that's okay for God to do? Is this a, something that is okay for him to do, to make an exchange, to preserve you? Okay, let's keep going. Go to Matthew chapter 20. This is a famous parable. It's the parable about the man who, um, who went out to the, uh, the uh, hiring center and hired these guys and said, go work in my field and I'll pay you a denarius. So he goes back three hours later and he says, um, uh, I need some more. Come on, y'all go work in my field and I'll pay you a denarius. This is uh, Matthew chapter 20, um, uh, beginning of verse 1. And then he goes the next three hours and he gets them. And then he comes to the end of the day, about, you know, uh, an hour before quitting time. And he comes and he says uh, to these guys, why are you standing there? Go work, work in my fields and I'll pay you a denarius. And so at the end of the day, they all line up. They all line up to get uh, their pay. And the guys who, um, who started at the end of the day are in the front of the line. So they stick out their hand and they get a denarius. The guys in the back of the line say, you know, I've been working since 6 a.m. this morning. If they gave him, if, if he gave them a denarius, well, then he's going to give us something more. And so they get to the front, you know, to their place and they, they get a denarius. And they're mad about that. Wait a minute. That's, that's just not, you know this parable, I think. Look at verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumble at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and, and you have made them equal to us, who have uh, borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Then he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. Did you not agree with me uh, for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And here it is, verse 15. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Well, ladies and gentlemen, how do you answer that question? In that parable, of course, the master is uh, is a reference to God. And God, uh, you know, uh, presents this question to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? What's your answer? Because uh, what rights do does God have? Does he have this right or does he not, according to you? What right does he have? Does he not have the right to do as he wishes with what belongs to him? Does he or does he not? 
we're not done. Uh, Romans chapter 9. Uh, we looked at this, oh, in 1997, I think. Um, Romans chapter 9, verse 18 says this. So then, he, that is God, has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Is that okay with you? Are you all right with that? I mean, it says he does it. What I want to know is, is that okay with you that he does it? Because you're the one that is, I mean, conceive it, is charging that God is not being fair. Is it okay with you that he does that? Look, same chapter, look at verse 13. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Is, is that okay? Can God do that or can God not do that? I mean, can we, can we stride up into his presence and say, wait a minute, God, you've done something that I don't particularly care about and I'd like to correct you. I'd like to rebuke you with this. That ain't fair. Let's keep going. Let's go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, you know there in Romans 9, there's this whole potter and the clay business. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But this is where it comes from. Um, Jeremiah chapter 18. Um, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the, and, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. And he worked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Now, uh, according to you, does that potter have that right? Is it okay with you that the potter um, uh, does, with this piece of pottery material, uh, what he wants to do? Or... Uh, is it not right that he does this? Uh, we're not done. Um, we've got three more. Uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is a story about Jesus. It's one of the more uh, profound statements on, on the part of Jesus. Um, I'm reading out of verse 39 and 40. John 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus is speaking, or no, no, Jesus is not speaking, but he says, therefore they could not believe. You notice that that word is could not, not would not, but it's could not. There's a vast difference between could not and would not. But they could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, He, that is God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and, and I would heal them. Did you know that? Did you know that Isaiah said that God did, did that? Well, how does that sit with you? Um, another one in, in First Peter. Go to First Peter. That's harder to find. It's right in front of 2 Peter. <laughs> um, this is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Uh, I'm in 1 Peter 2, 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Here we go. Here we go. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Well, what does that say to you? How do you how do you cope with that? Is it okay that it's in here? Now I got one final one that I want you to see, and this is I saved this to last because this is my favorite. Genesis chapter forty. Now, guys, let me tell you the story real quick. 
you know the story. Uh, Joseph uh, is sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, he's the one with the coat of many colors. His brothers hate him because they're jealous of him. They sell him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt uh, as a slave. He, is sold, he was bought by Potiphar. He goes into Potiphar's house, and the, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. You know that story, don't you? I mean, it's uh, Genesis 39. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. And, and so she, the Potiphar comes home from work one day, and, and she says, that Hebrew that you brought into the house, he did bad things. And So, I mean, what can he do? I mean, he, he doesn't have any proof otherwise. So he takes Joseph, and he throws him into jail. Joseph is, Joseph is in jail in chapter 40. At the same time, Pharaoh, the king, look at it. It's, in, it's right there. In, um, uh, look at verse 2. And Pharaoh was angry with two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them into custody of the house of the captain of the, in the prison where Joseph was confined. So up top, you know, Joseph is down here in the, in the, in the, in the prison. But up top, um, the cupbearer and the baker get into big trouble. Pharaoh's angry at them. Throw him in the same jail with, with Joseph. And you know what happens. Remember the story. They both have dreams. And they come, they come to Joseph and they say, listen, we've had these dreams. Um, and, you know, I was dreaming and uh, this was really, uh, this is what happened. And they give you the, they give you the whole dream there. Um, uh, uh, so the chief cupbearer told us, verse 9, the dream to Joseph. And Joseph said, my, in my dream there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it ripened, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, verse 12. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to office. But then the chief baker comes up and says, uh, let me tell you my dream. So he tells him his dream in verse 19. He says, in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. So Pharaoh took two of his servants, both were guilty, both had made him angry, throw him into prison, but for whatever reason, we're not told, for some reason, of which we are not let in on the reason, Pharaoh decides, I'm going to restore the cupbearer, but I'm going to hang the baker. Now, does Pharaoh have that right? I mean, can the king do that? Can the king get away with something like that? Does anybody say, wait a minute, Mr. King. That ain't fair what you're doing. I mean, why'd you take that vine dresser, not that baker? Hold up there, Mr. King. You know, we in the, in the civilian population out here, we don't like what you did. And we want you to change it. I'm asking you, ladies and gentlemen, do kings have that right? <laughs> well, I think the question is, I mean, the answer is yes. But the king of kings, according to some, does not have that right. No, sir, Rebob, God, you're not going to get away with that. You elected some and you hardened No, sir, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You can't restore the vine dresser and uh, hang the baker. No, sir, Rebobby, God, we've had enough of this. But the king of Egypt can do it. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, according to you, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to l- let you feel the weight of the text. Is all. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just. When, when I talk to people and they look at this text and they say, well, you know, I, I just don't like that. I mean, you know, uh, the, the elect obtained it, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, he hardened the rest. I don't like that. I don't like it. It's not fair. And he has no right. Well, tell me this. Where did you get that concept? But the, because according to this book, does God not have the right to do as he wishes with what is his? Depending on how you answer that question is how you'll relate to Romans chapter 11, verse 7. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, cannot, I cannot badger you into yielding to verse 7. But I can say, all throughout the Bible, God is portrayed as the one who is the king. And he does with what is his own as he wishes. He has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. I didn't make that up. I just read it out of this book that's supposed to be describing God to me. Now, go, go back to the text, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 7, and let's talk for a minute about the rest. That is, but the rest were hardened. Um, all right, guys. Uh, let's let's talk about the rest. Go with me over to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Um, the Lord saw that the... By the way, Genesis chapter 6 comes after Genesis chapter 3. Great observation, don't you think? Um, something very critical takes place in Genesis chapter 3. What is that? The fall. So this is after the fall. Man is fallen, okay? So God looks at fallen men and he says, uh, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now wait a minute. Wait just a minute. How did Noah get in on this and the rest of them get washed away in the flood? It's just not fair. Do you think uh, Noah was particularly uh, uh, righteous? Do you remember what Noah did? Remember when he got off the boat? Remember what he did? He got drunk and slept with his daughters. But God saw fit to intervene in Noah's life um, instructed him to make a boat. He does, but he chooses. That is, God chooses to um, flood the rest. Is that okay? I mean, is it okay with you? Um, because, guys, ultimately what we've got to do is come, our whole concept of who God is and what he does has to grow out of here, not out of what our, our concept may think. Now, guys, um, I want you to go back to Romans 9, and I, I want to I look with you at this. What I'm about to do is I'm about to equate the lump with the rest. 
Over in verse 7, it says, the rest were hardened. Okay? I'm about to equate the rest with the lump. Okay? In, in Romans chapter 9. Stay with me. Verse 21. Romans 9, 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump? Now, that's pretty important, ladies and gentlemen. The same lump. One vessel for honor and another for dishonorable you. Okay. So you got a lump of clay. The lump of clay is all clay. I mean, it's all the same lump. But the potter takes the same lump. He makes one into a vase and one into a wastebasket. The question posed to you is, does the potter have the right to do that? What I'm suggesting to you, ladies and gentlemen, is the lump, and you can read on with me uh, in verse 21, uh, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath in order to make known the riches of his glory, etc., etc.? What I'm, what I'm saying to you guys is that the lump is fallen humanity. And um, it's not, God has never made a bad lump. But out of that same lump of fallen humanity, he chooses to make two different kind of vessels. Is that okay with you? Because that's the question that's being posed to you in verse 18. That is, has the potter the right? That's what you have to answer. I've already answered that for me. You have to answer, does the potter have that right or not? Now let me show you what the lump does if the lump is left to itself. Go to Romans chapter 3. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Guys, um, have you ever been in a prayer meeting and people say, well, I want you to pray for my Uncle Herbert. He's really seeking after God. Well, let me say this. He may be. Uncle Herbert may be. And if Uncle Herbert is, it's because God has first sought him. But left to himself, no man ever seeks God. That's what the lump does. The lump remains a lump. The lump remains fallen material (laughs) until the potter decides, I'm going to make a portion of this lump. I'm going to make it into a beautiful vessel. Is that okay? I mean, because that's the question that's confronting you as a student of this book. Has the potter the right to out of the right over the clay to make out of the same lump. After Genesis 3, ladies and gentlemen, there was one lump. They're all fallen. And God says in Genesis 6, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I'm sorry I made him. I'm going to wipe him off the face of the earth. But I'm going to take Noah and I'm going to maintain... my commitment to man. Is that okay? Um, guys, go back to um, 
Romans chapter 11. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Let, let me try to tell you what is being said, methinks, in the rest were hardened. In the, in the case of the rest, God simply refuses to intervene. Um, he simply chooses to leave them in their fallen state. Um, he sovereignly declines to save the whole lump. That lump that is left behind is not forced in any way to disbelieve. It's not forced to sin. It's just left to itself. Um, God doesn't intervene to make them not believe. They do that by them, they do that by themselves. God doesn't force anyone to disbelieve. But he simply stands aside and allows fallen man to have his way. But some of the lump he chooses to make into a beautiful vessel. And that would be you. You all right with that? Gang, I'm not trying to say that it's not a hard truth. It is a hard truth. I mean, I've got books in my library, um, the, the title of which is The Hard Sayings of Jesus. But this ain't a saying of Jesus. This is uh, the Apostle, Apostle Paul. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's mind-boggling to consider. I, I, I fully admit that. But what, what I'm trying to do is not concoct a God that I think fits with my, my suitable understanding of civil responsibility. I'm trying to understand the God that is presented in this book. And this book says that, that the election obtained it, but the rest were hardened. We're talking about something that God did. He simply steps aside and says, you like sin? Have a gutful. One of the punishments of sin, ladies and gentlemen, is more sin. And um, God steps aside and lets fallen man have what he wants. And that's the hardening. Now, one last thing and I'm done. That's not fair. Well, I've done this before, but I'm, I'm going to add a little bit of something to it. I want you to look at one more thing with me. I want you to go, um, I want you to go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18. Okay, um, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 25. 
Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not fair? Is it not your ways that are not fair? Um, guys, he says the same thing down in verse 29. Here, here's my point. We have a certain definition of what fairness should look like. And we look at some of the actions of God and we say, that's not fair of you. And God's reply is this. Wait a minute. Um, could we rethink this just for a second? Because the issue is not that my ways are not fair and yours are fair. The issue, says God, is you don't understand fairness. Um, see, we have got this concept of what we think should be fair, and that too needs to be yielded to scriptural direction. I'm saying that you need to even change your definition of fair. Because we can't, apparently, according to Ezekiel, we can't even define fair rightly. By the way, this is also said in chapter 33, verse 17. Same thing. Now, but here's my, here's my closing comment. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God is not fair according to the way that we think of fairness? I mean, if our definition of fairness was correct and he were fair like that, like the way I define fairness, then what he would have to do every time that I did a bad thing, he would then be duty-bound to punish me. Aren't you glad he's not like that? I am. I'm glad that he doesn't conform to my definition of fairness. <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen, I'd be an ink spot if he did what I say is fair. I'm glad he um, is rich in mercy. I'm glad that he's long-suffering with my sin. And I'm glad that he does as he wishes. And I add this. He does it very well. Let's quit. Our Father, I, I do pray that, that I have been faithful to who you are and what you're like tonight and uh, that I have used your word correctly and, and um, not distorted it or twisted it in any way. And to the degree that I have, I pray that you will stop up the ears of these people and that they'll never hear another word that I've said. But Lord, if what I have said is true to your word, if it is, if it is a, at least an effort at an adequate dis description of you, I pray that you would give us holy, righteous, believing fear that we would never dare try to tell you ever again what you ought and what you ought not do. Father, um, we are, were a part of the same lump of fallen humanity and you have seen fit to, to intervene and 
stop us from our headlong rush into destruction. And the marvelous thing, O God, is not that you hate Esau. The marvelous thing is that you've ever loved Jacob. The marvelous thing is that you've ever loved any of us. But you have. And we're going to spend the rest of our eternity praising you for delivering us from the path that we were that we were on that ended up in destruction. Now, Lord, might we leave here with a greater sense of reverence for you, for what you've done, how you've saved, and might we bring that to this book every time we study it. We love you, Lord. We are sorry that we love you so little. But would you grant us grace that that little bit of love that we have might be fanned into a flame. Do that, Lord God, for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Thanks and good night.